0: Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred.
1: Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join us for Spring 2023 marathons in drawing and sculpture from January 17th to the 27th. Rigorous and immersive, marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time Daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive, first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world, the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Visit nyss.org to apply today. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes the best acrylics and mediums, core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints in New Berlin, New York. An employee-owned company, Golden is dedicated to making the best paints that artists can use in their studios. I've been painting with Golden for over 23 years and I swear by it. Check out their paints at your local art store at goldenpaints.com sound and vision is also sponsored by fulcrum coffee roasters they make amazing coffee and ship their beans to your doorstep so you can have incredible coffee at home i'm an avid coffee drinker and i love the coffee that i get from fulcrum through their subscription service there's always new coffee to try and it's always top quality check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com and add the code alfredstudio to your order and you'll get 20% off that's a pretty great deal. FulcrumCoffee.com Why I Make Art is out now. My book from the Sound and Vision podcast has features on 30 artists I've interviewed, tons of quotes from the artists I've had on the pod, and even some sketches from the Sound and Vision guestbook. It's 25 bucks, well spent, in my opinion. You can get it wherever you get books or from the publisher's website, AtelierEditions.com. And if you get it or already have it, please leave a review and rating where you got it. It's been an amazing response from the book and I hope it gives you inspiration in the studio or in your daily life. Anthony Cudahy is an artist born in Fort Myers, Florida who lives and works in Brooklyn. He completed an MFA at Hunter College in New York in 2020 before that getting his BFA from the Pratt Institute. He's had solo exhibitions with Hales Gallery in New York in 2021, Semios Gallery in Paris in 21, and 1969 Gallery in New York in 2018. He's been shown in various international group exhibitions and was included in Grimm Gallery's Equal Affections exhibition in Amsterdam in 2021. His work can be found in collections of the Hort Family Collection, the Institute of Contemporary Art in Miami, the Xiao Museum of Contemporary Art in China, amongst others. He has a current show at Grimm Gallery, A Pearl Caught Between My Teeth, an exhibition of new paintings and work on paper, on view at its Amsterdam Gallery space, and that's up through December 22nd. I spoke with Anthony about Florida roots, getting to New York City, cats and dogs, the love of music, AI, the value of painting, color, and much more. Here's our conversation.
0: Yeah, I I actually love. Um, I've definitely done more dogs than cats because um, one I have a dog, so she ends up in a lot of the paintings, and then also I think I've kind of used like like quoting that kind of like uh, dog on the hunt, hunt um, genre yeah. painting, yeah. Um, and like Snyder and people like that so but i've also painted a few cats and what i like about animals like that is they're almost like ears or hands or feet where they're really complicated but the actual like best way to paint them is like in like the least complicated most like squiggly manner and then it just like has the essence of them but
1: yeah they just happen like fluff some paint around, and yes <laughs> I think Manet was my favorite animal painter. Okay. I love Manet's animals. They're just—they're mm-hmm. uh, like that. They're kind of brief of brushstroke, but they just work really well.
0: For some reason, all I can think of is the the parrot <laughs> from the. What weekend. about
1: Olympia with the cat? That's a pretty. Oh one. yeah, true. I love the cat in that one. Yeah. Yeah. um All right. Well, we don't have to go all animal painting in this way (laughs) (laughs) so you were born in Florida right
0: yeah um, I was born in Fort Myers uh, so golf side
1: oh for some reason I golf like I thought (laughs) that like on the side of a (laughs) golf course Um, because Fort Myers isn't Um, that where the Yankees have spring training
0: um, so I literally have like sports blindness but I believe so but yeah, I truly I don't, could I not just, tell you. <laughs> I think I've just
1: heard of, you know, something about baseball in Fort Myers. There's a
0: huge training. stadium there that that a baseball team does that, so That could probably. be it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I didn't know if, I mean, that's my reference for Fort Myers. I don't know that much about Florida. It's kind
0: of a funny place because growing up, um, I think it just, you know, became a lot bigger um, now when you like have one of those maps that's zoomed out and only has like five cities in a state, like Fort Myers is one of them. But yeah. when I was like a kid, it was not. So it's, um, I think also there's like a airport there and I don't know. They got hit very, very badly by the hurricane Ian. Yeah. Um, and like the islands there, Sanibel and Captiva got um, really sadly, like, pretty much, like, decimated. They still don't have power. Um, and so, that, I mean, that's a huge part of the local economy there is just the tourism from those islands and, like, Fort Myers Beach. So um, I don't really know what, you know, is going to happen with that. But
1: Yeah, I feel like all coastal places these days just feels a little risky doesn't it like I, yeah. I don't know that I would buy a place although I love being by the ocean mm. I don't necessarily necessarily have to go in that much but I just love being on the beach there's something yeah. like rejuvenating about it but these days like it just seems like what how long is it gonna be you know before water rises it's or scary storms hit.
0: yeah it's like on Long Island all of the um I remember visiting a couple years after Sandy and seeing the houses on stilts yeah. and like that, you know, that was a while ago. That was like a decade ago. Right. Um, right. But I feel like that was one of the first times in from my, you know, limited perception. I like saw something that was like a visual uh, like cue about uh, the climate crisis.
1: Right. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I guess it's a risk. there's a risk of living in Iowa too, I guess. A different kind of risk. Right. <laughs> you know. Um <laughs> landlocked areas. But did you so what was uh what was young life in Fort My, Fort Myers like? Was creativity part of the beginning of it or
0: Um not necessarily because of the town which um, you know, was very for lack of a better word, like limited. Um, sure. But, you know, my my mom especially was uh, she did like she did studio art when she was in an undergrad and loved art and would drive us up to other places in the state like St. Pete or Tampa, and um, to go to museums and see art. And whenever we would go on a family vacation, she would like take us to a museum or. Um, so I feel like it was always a part of at least like my like family life that creativity was um, definitely not discouraged yeah. at all. Um, and then the actual town was very like like the only art i feel like i like that like opened my eyes to the world was like i feel like the barnes and noble like art section right (laughs)
1: Um, yeah ah those are the good old
0: days
1: (laughs) (laughs) and the um, magazines right yes those were exciting
0: yeah and um yeah i mean that was like kind of the i had this idea that you could like you could paint on your own time or something like it was a hobby and like people in the past definitely were artists, but like maybe not anymore, but then finding books on like Lucian Freud or Jenny Seville and realizing that they were both still alive kind of changed my perception of like, Oh, this is a, a thing that you could do with yeah. your life.
1: Were you a drawer just naturally? I feel like a lot of kids do it.
0: Yeah um i actually like um i mean i don't really feel like i'm naturally good at art um so for me me (laughs) it was a color was a struggle it was like something that and maybe that's why i'm like so interested in it um but i was always better at drawing um and then it wasn't until later that you know, an undergrad taking like color theory classes and painting that I began to branch into that side of it. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. What about music? Was that something you were into as a kid? Was yeah. there music in the house? <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Music is so important to me. And, um, and I feel like my dog is going to bark. Um, she hates when I'm on zoom. So I tried to give her <laughs> treats before Zoom um, fatigue
1: from the yeah. pets.
0: <laughs> um, she just doesn't like not being spoken to and right. like speaking to someone else. I think, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I mean, music was something that I feel like is the thing that if I, when I was a kid had the choice, that would have been what I would have done, but I don't. Um, myself have an ear <laughs> for it um, but yeah. I've always been obsessed with music and um, you know both my parents were always playing music um, my dad was really into people who were like experts at guitar you know like yeah. he loved like Stevie Ray Vaughan oh and right
1: the technical like guys yeah. Steve Vai is, like <laughs> masters of the guitar
0: Yes, and I remember like my mom my, like some of my first memories are like uh, with music are uh, uh, like Paula Cole and Cheryl Crow and um, and I definitely as a kid was like really obsessed with country music and that oh, yeah um, and that's yeah uh, kind of a thorough line because i mean i still am just different sides of it not like contemporary like country pop but like (laughs) like the real people Um, right uh, so yeah there's always music and my mom's side of the family was like musicians like her dad was in um this band the the guy lombardo orchestra oh um, yeah royal canadian orchestra um And they were like a big band. Um, So music was always around, and people in my family were musicians. And um, yeah.
1: Yeah, so the water was right for doing something (laughs) creative in life. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Was uh, high school, were, were you? I mean, I found our class to be the funnest, you know, the most goofy and fun place to be in the school did you have that same relationship
0: yeah um yeah I had a wonderful art teacher in uh in high school and yeah it was definitely like the safe place like go to her (laughs) room and like hide out during the pep rally kind of place yeah Um,
1: escape the jocks
0: yeah (laughs) and I well they like told us freshman year that the first pep rally, everybody throws batteries at the freshmen. <laughs> oh, geez.
1: Hazing starts early.
0: <laughs> um, but yeah, I would take like every art class I could. I think I like took some of them like twice somehow so that I would always be in there.
1: Yeah. And did you know that it was what, like, when did you know, oh, here's something I want to do?
0: Uh, Probably during high school, you know, it became really apparent. Um, I, you know, I feel like there are a couple things, like, I really, really wanted to move to New York, and I don't think I knew exactly why. Um, It was just such, like, a... um, it was just like a fixation almost like just any uh, book or movie or TV show that portrayed it. I was like, I have to go there and I have to be an artist um, without really having any concept of what that meant. The the Um, reality of it. Yeah. (laughs) It's still
1: great, but yeah, there is that other side of it.
0: Yeah. And, um, and I also think just like, being gay and trying to, at the time, get out of. A, I don't know what it's like now in, in you know, like, high school or whatever. But like, just trying to get out of a smaller town, um, right? And go to a place where you could like reinvent yourself. I think I was obsessed with that. Um, but yeah,
1: did uh, did New York deliver?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, it's the only place I've ever lived. So, like, yeah. as a, as I moved here when I was eighteen, and now I'm thirty three. So I've never lived in another city during Have that time. Have you traveled
1: around a bunch?
0: Yeah. Um, it, there's like other cities I really like, like, you know, Philly and Chicago and LA. But I just never can imagine actually figuring out how to live there. <laughs> You um,
1: left out. You left out my hometown in Pittsburgh. Not no, about bad town. I haven't been. <laughs> oh really? It's great. I mean, it's it. The thing about when you live in New York is when you go to other provincial towns, there's a quaintness to them, but they they just feel kind of small or limited. Yeah. You know, it's like New York just kills it for everything else. You know. But I didn't. <clears throat> excuse me. I mean, Pittsburgh is a blue collar, kind of like relatively white working class you know town it's not super it's liberal but not so su- it's not like new york where there's just people from all of, you know but i i feel like i didn't really experience just how america is until i started driving across the country mm-hmm. right. both like we did it in high school for fun and then as playing in a band and you know it it's different you know what i mean when you see those political maps yeah you you get it when you actually drive across the country. And I can imagine what? finding, you know, just as an artist, as a straight white male artist, which is pretty, you know, easy. And as far as, you know, adapting, I mean, coming to New York, you really find just as a creative person, it's the energy and the people and the diversity. It's like, how do you turn back from that, you know?
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And I've, you know, I, uh, I also did like one very intense road trip of like the whole country when I was younger, um, like basically the Southern part of the country, um, and growing up, like, I mean, Florida is kind of like a very strange, um, mismatch of, uh, um clientele a lot of people yeah <laughs> yeah um, it is
1: a weird it's and my limited experience is there it's I can't get a handle on it
0: yeah it's like the most expensive homes are like in like the country are like in Naples which is like um you know I think at one point either North Fort Myers or one of the towns near it had like the highest poverty rate in Florida so it's like they're very like close it's just like everything's on top of each other there and it's like conservatives, snowbirds and um and very like I don't know. It's just a lot of it's strange. it's not the south but it's not not the south and then um but yeah, going on the I don't know. It um just experiencing a lot of like hostility and weirdness. I I feel like in new york that can happen but either there's so many people that like um it's almost like it just gets like absorbed into like (laughs) the day-to-day or and or also there's so many people that like even if it's i don't know it's just um i like the the vibe of new york um in contrast to like other parts of the country where it's like I th- feel like other places in the country like are very polite to you in the way they're supposed to be but then like will like kill you behind your back and then right in New I York, know pe- exactly what you mean <laughs> it's, like get, a, it's like it's on pee, the surface right here Yeah but people help each other here and I feel like it's they might be like not have like <laughs> very pleasant like day-to-day face but like you know they'll pull you out of the tracks if you fall in
1: <laughs> right yeah it's it's weird it's hard to describe that dynamic but it's kind of like a team where everyone will get on each other about mm. everything like ah oh, you're that guy or you know what you... but then at the end of the day everyone's just like on board you know right. you kind of have to be and if you actually were truly you know racist or home- or whatever it is like people would just be exhausted with it because there's everyone. There's no unifying. It's just made up of so many different people from so many different walks of life. That yeah. I don't know. But there everyone is, just gets road rage. You know, they just get mad that you're not moving fast
0: enough. Right. I <laughs> mean, like, yeah. And I and I agree with that. And then, but then there's also this like past couple of years, especially 2020 on, where like people have been. Uh, Radicalized or like pushed to like the kind of like hate and like hate crimes that are happening or like terror. I don't know. It's a um. It's definitely like something changed.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's pushback. I don't even think if it's a little pushback. Like the I don't like the overall. If we look at things, we're hopefully trending towards something better. But then yeah. there's this like these moments of pushback and, you know, like you have this stuff going on in Iran right now, which is like devastating. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a big soccer fan and I, I just read before we started talking that they're planning to execute one of the players on the team because he was protesting okay. for women's rights. And then you have in China like protests going on where they're actually trying to change some of the authoritative stuff so it's like this Mm -hmm. constant push and pull and like two steps forward two steps back you know yeah and um yeah so it one hopes that generally the general population is trending towards more empathy and Mm -hmm. inclusion and and there's always going to be people who get irritated at that and and push back which is the Mm -hmm. the never-ending battle you know yeah
0: it's it's definitely cyclical um I, uh I just read this I mean specifically like uh I guess like with like gay or trans rights I read this book um gay New York by George Chauncey recently and it's like uh he kind of like contests the kind of myth that there was no gay community that was visible and like connected before Stonewall mm-hmm. so he talks about like New York from like 1890 to basically World War Two, and by the time of like Prohibition like people were out people were like drawing crowds as gay performers people had like very interconnected like gay neighborhoods and community and then there was such a dramatic pushback and they basically made it illegal to be gay in public or like talk about anything gay which is like scary with you know Florida and places like that um,
1: Right. you know I agree and I, I think you know there's always a risk of uh, like I feel of, like downplaying something or making light when I'm not I don't mean to but like if you look at you know a hundred years ago versus today you know what I mean so one yeah, hopes yeah. that we're you know it's not fast enough and there's there's always shit that you have to push back on it, that's not, you know, but that things are trending towards, you know, like every generation that's born. Like, I have a kid who's growing up in New York City in high school, mm-hmm. and like the way he is with his friends and the diversity and the inclusion, you know what I mean, is really yeah. kind of heartwarming. And then, right. you know, but then I know people who are growing up who have outside of the city who are in the suburbs and there's still that same old crap, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if anything, like to your point, within the last election cycle, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a lot of stuff is flared up, so Right. You know, it's an endless battle, you know what I mean? For mm-hmm. people to be decent, like inclusive, you know, human beings. But, you know, one hopes. One's hopeful.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? And it's also like if you it's also Part of the reason that it's like optimistic to like read something like that is that I do feel like if you, you know, read that history, you understand that like people have fought this before and you can like learn from those people um, right. and have more context. So,
1: yeah, well, these are all could be parallel to the universe of making art, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> the battle on canvas learning from prior yeah so so you went to school in new york city if i'm not mistaken
0: yeah i went to pratt for undergrad
1: i mean you Um, went deep into the art school pool you went right into the the (laughs) thick of it (laughs) how was it
0: um i mean it's funny you said that because i my experience of undergrad was I was definitely like living in the city, but um, it's almost like those four years. It's so like intense and you just live in that one, like five radius block and in Brooklyn Um, and it was just like so like it was my whole life and world um, and very, very intense. And yeah, I actually did, um, I think it's like a thing that's come up in other episodes, but I tried to, you know, circumvent some pitfalls. And I thought that if I did graphic design um, illustration that I could like figure out a responsible (laughs) way, less scary way to be an artist and
1: employable skill.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and in the end that kind of did happen because I graduated and I immediately realized I couldn't do it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, like on my own, like I needed, I needed to paint. Um, so I really stopped pursuing any kind of, um, Like within a year of graduating, I kind of stopped pursuing any illustration or anything like that. And I eventually, a few years after that, found a really stable, good graphic design job that basically sustained me all the years, you know, um, before I really started showing or even thinking about really selling my work. Um, Did it fall
1: in your lap Or were you actively trying to find those gigs
0: That one was I was very lucky because my friend um, Worked at the company And She basically was You know just knew about the position opening up So it was very And at the time I was working at like Before that I was like Working at a bunch of odd jobs And like one of them was like Concierge at the chelsea peers um which i was like horrendous at <laughs> like actually like not my skill set um and it kind of saved yeah it was, i feel like that's the reason i kept was able to keep painting and do everything was because it was it paid so much better than the jobs i had and it was like three days a week and it was a job that you like just left at the job. Like there was no overlap and it was just perfect. And I worked there for like nine years.
1: That's pretty great. Especially these days when work is just seems like relentless, you know, like you have Mm -hmm. a phone, you're going to get the texts or whatever to have like a schedule that's manageable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? That it's like a sane sort of like job is, is so, um, I imagine it's really helpful for getting your feet under you, you know, yeah, and getting a studio like did you get yourself an external studio where you were living where you were
0: working, or um
1: like was there a buffer between I, school and then when you got out as far as like making work did it was it tough for a little logistically
0: n- I just no i I mean looking back i I wouldn't do it <laughs> like this now, but I like like the, fir- the apartment I was living in and sharing with a bunch of people when I first got out of school, like I, I sectioned off like a part of the kitchen weirdly and like painted on the wall there. <laughs> um, and then would always do it in my, my homes, st- like my room or like, it was never like a fully set up studio and then, um, but I never really stopped making work. Um, If anything like when I graduated I like had this like overwhelming sense that I like picked the wrong life path or major in school and so I had to like really prove to myself that I could be a painter so I I, there was no if anything I like started making more work um, when I graduated and then the one of the first things that happened that was really changed my life was the there was this residency program that doesn't i don't think it still exists but it was called the artha program and um they gave me and two other people a studio in the navy yards for a year for free nice and that was like that really changed everything and then after that i had a really tiny greenpoint studio and then my husband and i were living together so we were able to do like a one bedroom thing where the studio was the bedroom and then our bed was in the kitchen basically
1: (laughs) (laughs) always kind of close to the kitchen i guess that's good for like if you're a coffee drinker yeah i don't have to go far (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that that can be a great you know beginning i the first loft i lived in was right off the williamsburg bridge and it was Mm -hmm. huge you know we had a ton of people in there and i turned my bedroom into the studio just so I could have my own little space you know it wasn't that huge but uh, just having that was so important you know and then I could just paint right up until when I go to sleep get up for work the next day it's just you know you try to find that situation that makes it as easy as possible to just keep working
0: Mm -hmm. that is the you know there's so many like pros and cons to having the studio in the house or not but that definitely is Um I'm definitely someone who like at eleven PM gets an urge to like paint for like two hours. Yeah. But only two hours and like if you have to it makes sense if it's in your house, but if you have to like go to the studio and commute and then
1: twenty minute commute there and back. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it it doesn't make sense. Um so I I do well when it's in the house, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I did I used to I did for years until I had a kid. And, mm-hmm. um, and then when I moved the studio outside the studio, that whole commute thing came to be, you know, cause it, it's just, if you have little things that you have to do to take care of like family stuff or at home stuff and you have to just keep bouncing back and forth, it's inconvenient. So I kind of like set up a home studio, a mini one and mm-hmm. the studio and then I also mm-hmm. teach in Pennsylvania, so I have a studio there too. So oh, wow. I'm really comfortable <laughs> being nomadic, you know right. what I mean, of like working in different spaces, which is kind of cool if you could figure it out, you know. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've always yeah. loved like the stories of musicians who would record, like they had a home studio, then they would go to like a specific studio of a producer and then sometimes go up to like a cabin studio or something and work. Right, right. And it just creates different vibes for if it works for you to, you know, kind of... uh to marinate in while you're thinking, being creative, you know.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and having the the space really influence the the work. I feel especially for like musicians, that's like such a big big thing.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Because it's a vibe, you know. It's real. Vibey in that sense. I had a studio. And things in, sound in, differently. Yeah, totally. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You're you you get influenced by the size. That's why sometimes it's fun to work in a small space. I mean, COVID wasn't mm-hmm. fun, but I basically made work small works on paper for months, and it it worked Same. because we're all cramped yeah. in here, you know, and it worked. But it was a good challenge. It was nice to recalibrate in a way.
0: Right. I. I kind of lost my studio during COVID uh, for like six months. I was um, still in the the Hunter grad program Um, and so yeah, I had to make the transition to making work at home but that actually ended up like I started making colored pencil drawings for the first time and then that became a big part of my practice I feel like and like changed how I Painted even. So it was like, um,
1: yeah. Yeah, limitations sometimes. They can create like opportunities, you know?
0: But I also so, I sometimes do the opposite where like I was sharing a really tiny studio with my husband and um, ended up making like six by eight foot paintings <laughs> and just like wall to wall. Yeah. So sometimes <laughs> uh, it's also funny to just. Ignore the limitation completely.
1: <laughs> as long as you can get them out the door. Yeah. That I learned that the hard way once. Issue. <laughs> made a big one in my first apartment outside of that loft, and it just didn't go down the stairwell. Mm-hmm. Like it, it angled, it got close, and it stopped. So we had to right. take it and roll it and do all that garbage, which is a nightmare. But you yet. learn quick, you know, the best way to do these things. Uh, what kind of... so? what were you doing when you started undergrad and then what did you like, where did it get to by the time you got out?
0: When I entered undergrad, I was very like in like in that like Lucian Freud mode or like Uglo or any of those, like like Jenny Seville, like um, very always figurative Um, fleshy
1: paint yeah.
0: yeah and and the whole first year was like everybody had the same foundation so it was like um even though i was like switching my major from painting to illustration it was still just like basically painting and then i feel like by the time i left i had sort of figured out how to make every assignment into what i wanted it to be i was making a lot of zines actually um and got really into self-publishing and the like Brooklyn zine world and um but then when I graduated I was just like I have to go back to like oil paint um and and just do it for real right yeah
1: so uh and did you have some some people there who were pretty influential any visiting artist, or like was the uh, how was that relationship with the faculty and colleagues there
0: we had there? really like foundation year I had like um, this painter Ellen Kozak mm-hmm. who um, was really wonderful at teaching mm-hmm. about color um, mm-hmm. and that has been a huge impact on my life and then like uh, Kate teal also taught there she's a great artist um, and then in the actual you know like illustration program uh, there were these two teachers like uh, Chang Park and Jordan Isip and they both I think they really were great teachers because they kind of took students where they were so um, and what they wanted to be so it wasn't like none of your like, None of my, like, painterly inclinations were ever um, kind of challenged, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and then there was this amazing uh, teacher, Duncan Hamilton, who um, he taught, like, a self-publishing class. And he brought this, like, Risograph machine uh, to Pratt. And I genuinely think you could probably make a like a social history book of, like, how many small presses that went on to form and like how key that was to like, you know, um, like last decades, like zine world. Yeah. Um, so he was really amazing to have as a professor.
1: Yeah. Now, you know, I read of uh, a little bit of your love of painting and the history of the, the fact that historical painting and, you know, things in the past that you look to, whether it's color, you know, the figure things like that, but um, I would guess that, you know, with illustration or graphic design and things like that That and speaking of scenes, that maybe graphic novels or cartoons or movies and other things also are an influence or possibly
0: Yeah, I mean, in undergrad I was really into um, uh, kind of the the kind of alternative comics community yeah. um and there were a lot of like people doing really strange um kind of genre defying work um coming out of places like baltimore and new york and um and i mean there were like also people like like Charles Burns and uh, Mobius and people like that that I was really enamored with. But I, a lot of the people that I was looking at were like my age or just a little bit older. Um, yeah. uh, in undergrad, I like interned one year at this gallery called um, Cinders. Do you remember them?
1: Oh, yeah. That was on Hope Street or at least
0: um, the originating
1: yeah. version of it and the dude who ran it had the mohawk I yeah believe.
0: Stowe and uh yeah it was Stowe and um Kelly Bowman and they had a zine library in the gallery um,
1: where was that gallery
0: that was yeah that was like
1: Havemeyer right
0: Havemeyer yeah I used to um, live it was like on right where block. the knitting factory was for a while wait the knitting factory was there wasn't the knitting factory on um oh yeah
1: yeah, yeah. at the end on uh, metropolitan yeah. right that's yeah. right i always um, forget that the knitting
0: factory <laughs> right moved <roof>
1: there <laughs> um,
0: I, but that kind of like opened my brain in a lot of ways to and then getting to like print and matter and all that stuff um, yeah but i think it actually did you know it's I think structuring a zine or like a book and thinking about consolidating all this information and bringing in sources, you know, from like a screen grab to like um, your own drawing to like this photograph or and putting it all in one place and being able to kind of be the director of that. Eventually that was a lot of the questions and like, things I tried to work through with the paintings. Um, So I feel like it's all interconnected.
1: Yeah. It's nice to know that at, because, you know, when I was growing up, you know, maximum rock and roll and like zines were, they were important because it was kind of the only place you could find that stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. there was no internet or anything. So it was your like relationship to sort of like underground like DIY culture, you know? And it's cool that, the internet didn't destroy it or it's not totally gone, you know?
0: Right. And I think, I mean, not to dwell on this like (laughs) cyclical uh, reactionary thing again, but it's like, especially, you know, like queer zines, I feel like if you go to the New York Art Book Fair, you're going to see people making things that like they no longer have like an outlet to really share except mm. online except for like on their personal website like, like Tumblr, Instagram, everything like so like censored people out of that that it kind of renewed the importance of uh, small presses and like right. um, being able to give information in that way um,
1: yeah Yeah, no, I mean, and I think that started from the beginning too. It must have just Mm -hmm. sustained because I, you know, I'd, and the the music I was playing in undergrad, you know, living with a bunch of straight edge kids, Mm -hmm. you know, like the straight edge and the, you know, the queer community. It was like kind of like, you know, a way to, I don't know, it was like a message board or something, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like these uh, scenes that were just left all over. And then like coffee shops and record shops. And thrift stores back then were a different. They meant something different. That was like a mm-hmm. place that you would go, and I don't know. It was like kind of research, and you know, you meet people right. or basement shows, things like that. And it's cool mm-hmm. that that it just kind of lives on, I think, in those th- formats to some extent.
0: Right, right. It's like its is hard- like to the media.
1: Yeah, and it's it's heartening because I think the internet could just kill that all because it's all you could do right. that stuff all online technically it's mm-hmm. different but you know it, it's um, it's nice to know that it's still happening I guess mm-hmm. you could say the same thing for painting
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> you know I could just
1: AI it on my phone and just make whatever but <laughs> yeah, I think if anything else it gives even more credence or value you know into it like you know how mm-hmm. like record like vinyl it always sort of quote unquote comes back but it's because you know you could just get anything anywhere and now when you put a record on it you you know it sounds different it's got a different feel to it there's something to be said for that you know same thing with painting it's like if you can generate an image just by telling your phone you know lightning bob ross mountains and you know aliens and it creates like you know painting it's (laughs) it it gives even more value to someone is someone's brain thinking that stuff up and like doing it you know
0: right i mean yeah i mean and especially like When I first graduated undergrad was like my first when I graduated undergrad it was 2011 and it was obviously very different art world like figuration was not it was kind of like a really it felt like you were really dumb if you (laughs) liked to paint and then especially if you made things that were representational and um (laughs) and (laughs) so for me it was kind of funny because all those you know the endless cycles throughout the decades of like painting being dead or not I like always found that kind of freeing like if it was dead um, then you're just free to engage with it how you want and you don't have to like um, abide by this kind of like like frankly like toxic idea of like progress in art where like one thing kills the previous thing. Right. Um,
1: step on a genre to create a new one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And it's not like, like manifesto based or anything. It's like just you and this medium, um, and the relationship that you have with it. And so I always found that kind of freeing (laughs) that, um, and I feel the same way with like, you know, any of the discussions about AI art and stuff like that, it's kind of like almost irrelevant because the real thing is just like your relationship with the the medium. So
1: Definitely. Yeah, no, I think it's that stuff's all good training ground. I mean, I graduated in ninety seven from undergrad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the time where I think the biennial that year, or right around there. I remember getting the catalog. Okay. I don't know if there was any painting. There were maybe like two right. or three paintings in the whole thing. It was Matthew Barney climbing around naked and video <laughs> shit. You know, everything was just like there was not. If there was the value was not on making anything. It was kind of like doing stuff and saying mm-hmm. stuff, but not really like making pictures. And then you're, you know, when you're developing at that stage you're just like confused Mm -hmm. and just like well what the like am i totally missing the boat here but at the same time you just don't know you're just like well i'm gonna keep doing what i'm doing you know and and hopefully people find value in it and i think that's the underarching message is you just keep doing what you're interested in and you hope that it's compelling or it engages with you know the world that you're living in somehow some way you know
0: right and remember, and, it, it, and just you know, having that strong impulse or like need to remember like why you started doing it, well, yeah, as well, yeah, that's like
1: it, on the artist side, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, on the, yeah, like on the outside, there should be room for everything, mm-hmm. yeah. But on the inside, it should be good and it should be heartfelt, or it should be coming out of somewhere. Right. You know, I don't know. I, I'm altruistic when it comes to that. You know, really believing or meaning or sinking everything into what you're doing then that creates a sort of you know a core realness to it that they can shatter any ai app right i don't know that's the idealism i guess but um
0: yeah it's it's funny because like for me the only interesting parts of ai stuff is when it fails or like glitches right and i feel like that as that gets, like, perfected out, it's going to be just more and more boring.
1: Um, yeah, but people will find ways to use it purposely like that. Right. Kind of like movies yeah. with the special effects. It gets mm-hmm. so... They're so good at it right. that you're like, okay. You know, but then they find ways to pull it back yeah, and tweak it and get weird with it, and that's when it kind of gets good, you know?
0: Right. And it's funny because it's like you watch anything with, like, practical effects and even if it There's just I mean, there's just this funny like I mean, it's probably you know, it's probably just like Uncanniness or whatever, but there's this funny thing where it's like if you know It's practical effects and you know, it's complete fiction You almost can like believe it more readily than if it's really trying to be real
1: right because because flaws and mistakes are real yeah. You know what I mean? It's like we're too we, we collectively humans are always trying to like make everything as good or as seamless or technical or, you know, there's this certain allure to that of streamlining. Mm-hmm. But really we always fall back to the quirkiness or things that don't work right or things that are just off because that's who we really are. You know, like no mm-hmm. one is perfect or streamlined or, you know, it's, it's kind of like, we push back against it and try to distance ourselves or evolve from it, but really, we are flawed. Kind of, you know, that's what makes us so interesting. You know, it's like mm-hmm. when the when the chord is just slightly off, slightly out of tune, and then right. your ear hears that, and it's there's an excitement to that, as opposed to everything just being perfectly done. You know, right. Fortunately, I'm far from anything for any whiff of perfection so I'm like <laughs> I'm killing it on this like you know for, rough around the, the edges the yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think there's a celebration in that you know so um and and then you kind of that said with where you came out of undergrad you kind of locked in or maybe sort of started hitting right when figuration was all of a sudden it wasn't the you know the mm-hmm. uh, the, the bad the, be- the, the gray cloud in the room where it was kind of celebrated as being you know reinvestigated in a way
0: right it I mean it kind of lined up weirdly enough uh, exactly with when I started the grad program at Hunter Yeah. Um, which I started in 2018 um, and yeah it was kind of surreal how that happened um And yeah, I can't, it's funny because there's already like a group of people who have like moved to the city and like uh, got acclimated to the art world who don't have the context of what a shift that was. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But it was truly wild to experience, especially when it first started changing.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's. I kind of, like. I always feel like when I first moved to the city in the '90s, the sh- not like if you take Williamsburg, is I live in East Williamsburg. I've always really lived in Williamsburg. The change that happened. It's funny to think of people who moved here like 12, 15 years ago, and never really saw just how different it was 25 years ago. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. So I think that's. Con- and then I I have friends who are artists who are you know 20 years older than me and tell me stories about. You know, Bushwick or East Williamsburg when in the '70s, and I'm like, "Holy mm-hmm. smokes!" You know, it's it's, yeah, it's all relative, I guess. You know,
0: right? Yeah, no, that's true. But did you <laughs> flour?
1: Did you flourish in the grad program? Like, did it was that sort of like conducive environment as far as like feeling like, oh, there's an acceptance to what I'm doing in a way, or there's like-minded people. Not that there isn't everywhere. At all, like right now, there's a bunch of minimalist art being made. They mm-hmm. just—it's not maybe on the map or on the radar in such a heavy way. You know what I mean? But right, at that right. moment, you were probably feeling pretty uh, buoyed by, you know, some energy in the. Yeah, sort I of- felt
0: like I—I I mean, I—I I had throughout the years, like I had like found other painters and kind of, you know, forged connections with people but I think it like kind of all kind of coalesced around that time and um and it did just feel like there was this energy I mean it still does but um it was just especially like a lot of people that you that I knew for um several years who were working on their projects and like uh painting in this way and us just kind of like I feel like supporting each other and talking about art together and then to see them succeed was like for, succeed for being like who they are and like what they do was really meaningful Um yeah and, and at grad school I mean I met like um, Jenna Gribben and Lily Wong and Jenna Beasley and uh, a ton of other people who just I'm so like privileged to have as friends and like fellow artists Um, and yeah the program itself was it was like it was very good and intense I also like really didn't want to go into any debt for like i didn't want to take out loans so i was like working like three jobs and then also when i like starting to show and sell work so it was like in some ways it was it was too imbalanced just towards i was just only working yeah. and and had to really recalibrate after um i don't know uh you know i didn't really i i had the first show that I had, um, my second semester in grad school and a lot of the faculty was really like against the idea of showing while you were in school. Right. But to be honest, like I was in so much like <laughs> credit card debt when, before the second semester of school that I was going to drop out. Um, so the fact that I started showing kind of kept me in grad school in this weird way. Um, yeah. so yeah.
1: Well, I mean, good on you for not, well, uh, not to assume, but that you didn't come out under a mountain of debt. Well, Is I just, can...
0: I wasn't sort of, cause it's like, I, I'm just like not, or I wasn't, especially then I wasn't financially literate at all. And I was like, I'm not going to take out any loans. And so I just like, but then I just put everything on a credit card, which has worse oh, interest higher rate. higher interest rate. Oops. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one teaches oh. us
1: this stuff. You know, you got to right. learn on the job. Really? It's tough. Yeah. You know, they could teach us a little bit about this in art school (laughs) or something about being managing your money or career or something, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I tried, uh, I taught a class about like, not just managing money, but when you get out of school, like how to do it or just how to Mm -hmm. try to make ends meet, you know, but I'm sure it's better these days than it was back when I was a student. They used to just, you know, if you mentioned anything outside the chambers of what was going on in the studios, You know, there was, like, blasphemy. Why would you talk about... (laughs) We don't talk about career stuff or surviving. We just talk about art, you know.
0: But it's uh, so tied uh, to each other. It's like, I mean, so many people I know, I feel like, have... Obviously, I mean, probably most people who continued making work after art school know that, like, 90% of the people they went to school with, like, either did something different or, like, had to give it up at some point. right. And so it's so tied to it, like how to like, that's so important for the work is knowing how to like survive. Being able to make it. it.
1: It's like teaching diving, but then not teaching them how to swim.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, it's like you,
1: you're going to need when you get in the water, if you die, (laughs) you're going to need to learn how to survive. Yeah. Anyways, it is, you know, I, hopefully these days it's getting a little better and Mm -hmm. there's, other resources now, I think, that there weren't back then uh-huh. to sort of figure these things out. But It sounds like you had met a great community. I, th- I think one of the best parts about going to school, grad school, undergrad, or whatever, is that community. You know, the people you meet and those experiences are so important. I mean, you know, the professors are important, visiting artists and all that, but, you know, the, that kind of, like, camaraderie and meeting those people is, is a huge part of it. And I'm sure you're still in contact with them today you know and you've you've built bonds that really help you survive as an artist just in in the mental side of it you know
0: right because it's I mean we have sort of a crit group um, and like a crit group text train where it's just kind of like studio shots but also it's but also speaking to like the survive surviving part of it it's like as you know like the art world is so like impenetrable and opaque and the only way that you learn anything about it is either you have a horrible experience and learn from it or like someone you know has that happen to them and then they tell you so it's um i feel like my especially the friends i made in grad school like have just been like it's just been like kind of amazing like to be able to like call someone and be like, what do you think about this? Or like, what's your experience working with this person or, and trying to be very like, uh, overly generous, with like sharing any information that you have, like, uh, to the point of being like redundant, just cause it's like that. No one gives you that knowledge. Like you can't like Google it. You can't right. yeah. do anything with that. Um, so
1: god it's like the art world it's like a fraternity houses or something and like you're pledging don't like, <laughs> know what you're getting into like, can I should I go in there is it dangerous to like sign up for this oh <laughs> Think throw like empty kegs at me or something right hey, but yeah, yeah you do need the you I'm need people hazing. who've gone through it yeah right <laughs> hazing the hazing seems to be a subject um so how's the work going now what are you working on anything in particular
0: um, I just had a show that's still up um, in Amsterdam at uh, grim gallery um, it's a great gallery yeah they're they're amazing um, and really did such a great job with the show um,
1: although I will sorry to interrupt but I will say the, the Dutch hazing is the worst kind of hazing, I think, oh, really? in the art world. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> totally kidding. Okay,
0: I'm too gullible. <laughs> <laughs> like, really? I,
1: I escaped the Dutch hazing. Um, <laughs> it involves clogs and tulips right. and, and waffles.
0: Or or I'm like, oh, wow, that happened to you, too. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. uh, and so that's up right now. And then I um, actually... I am doing, um, a museum show in France.
1: That's exciting. Um,
0: Yeah. It's, um, amazing. And, uh, my gallery there, Semios, like has worked like super hard on kind of helping make it happen. It's in this, um, uh, town called Dole, um, smaller town, um, but it's their Beaux Arts Museum. And I'm, um curating in from their collection, uh, and then making work kind of responding to it. That's so cool. Um, and I ended up being really, the work I was drawn to kind of lent to this, but, um, all of the work that I picked is like anonymous or unattributed. Um, and they're all kind of like the oddball, strange paintings. That's Um, cool. And so that's in May of next year, 2023. So, um, excited about that. Yeah.
1: Have you been to the Musée d'Orsay? Yes. Isn't it amazing?
0: Yes. <laughs> um, I mean,
1: I I do like deep cuts, but man, those meditation acer l'herbe and those van goes and stuff. I mean, it's it's got some good, uh, big hits.
0: Right. No, it's, it's like very, the museums and, Paris are like astounding. Um and just everywhere.
1: <laughs> it's an embarrassment of riches. And they might win the stinking World Cup again. It's too much. Oh no. France is getting too much airtime. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll move on. Uh, <laughs> 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 um No, that's really exciting. Thanks.
0: Um cool. I'm also curating a show that's like opening in January at, at Semios in, in Paris. So nice. um And I'm really, that's been a really fun experience Um, and a ton of work that I didn't anticipate too.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. Curating's tricky, but it is really fun to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all that. And um, if people want to see your work outside, I mean, you know, you're on Instagram and um, you have a website. And then your galleries, yeah. is that, you know, a good place to...
0: Yeah, so, and in, yeah, Instagram's just my name. And then um, I show with Hale's Gallery, um, Semios, and Grimm. So any of those places as well. Nice. Yeah.
1: Well, um, yeah, I mean, we have to give some credit. Your dog, she did pretty well. I mean, that was <laughs> very patient.
0: <laughs> she yeah, and there was a cat outside too, so she was whining for. She kept it together. <laughs>
1: I have two two um, polydactyl cats that are. Oh. I have to shut the door because they would not be that respectful. They just jump right up here and get. Wait, what is bike. polydactyl? They have the extra thumb. They're like part Maine so Coon, they're he- so they're like furry. Hemingway and, cats. Is that what they call
0: them? In, well, like <laughs> I don't know if this is. Uh, <laughs> Um I don't know if this is like a thing or not but like the Hemingway house in like Key West like all the cats um are very like intermingled like uh and so they all have these mutations and they they have like extra uh toes extra and thought. stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't I I all I know about polydactyls is that yeah, it's like a genetic thing but they were prized coming over on ships. To the U.S. because they were really good at catching rodents. Oh, okay. Because they have that extra, you know. Wow. But, <laughs> um, they're sweet. They're part Maine Coon, so they're kind of like, you know, fuzzy. Giant? Well, they're not that big. They mixed. Okay. They must have mixed with a smaller cat, but they are uh, very outgoing. They're not okay. super skittish at all. Like, when people mm-hmm. come over, they go right up to you. So, I have to keep them out. I can't even have them in the same room. Okay. <laughs> <That's so. laughs> um, well, thanks again for doing it. It was great to, to meet up and uh, yeah. hopefully in person. Some oh, yeah, definitely. Thank and, you so uh, much. Yeah, thanks. Sounded Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking it out on the website, soundvisionpodcast.com on Instagram, at Podcast. You can check out more about my work at BrianAlford.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Anthony for taking out the time to talk. And if you can, if you happen to be in Amsterdam, check out his show, A Pearl Cop Between My Teeth. You can find his work on his Instagram as well. Many thanks to Golden Artist Colors, New York Studio School, and Fulcrum Coffee for sponsoring. Do a favor, check out Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book, It makes a good holiday gift for those who are interested in creativity and painting and sculpture and art making so you can get it online anywhere you get books amazon you could get it at the publisher's site atelier editions and um another way to support the podcast is to leave a rating and review it really helps if you could just get on there and give it some stars whatever you feel like you would like to say about it in the review section it kind of helps spread the word about the podcast. So that is much appreciated. We have some great episodes coming up, so please stay tuned.